1: Listen to that. Nothing beats of vinyl. Some technology just stands the test of time. Our technology not only brings the cool, it also brings the heat. At Mitsubishi Electric, we've been mastering and innovating heat pump technology since 1970. EcoDan, continued innovation in heating for home and business. Mitsubishi Electric, changes for the better. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney prior to and during questioning. If you can't afford one, the court will appoint one for you. You understand your rights? By the victims of the crime or the perpetrators who committed the crimes. My descriptions of the crime scenes are what I saw with my own two eyes. If you are going to get offended, turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. Thank you all for joining us today for the conclusion of What Happened to Jackie. I want you to stay tuned at the end of today's episode of What Happened to Jackie. I'm going to have some announcements as usual and and some shout outs, but I'm also going to be promoing podcasts, so y'all listen for those promos at the end. They're good podcasts and interesting. I think you'll like them. Uh, look them up, subscribe, leave them a review, go to the social media and let them know that Woody with Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast sent you. All right, so let's get started. When I left you last, I had arrested Boudreaux after getting a confession from him that he had done sexual things, really classified as a sexual battery even though it could have been classified as a rape because of the digital penetration of the vagina with his fingers, but I knew that really wasn't gonna fly. Anyway, book him in and go back to the sheriff's office and now we're waiting in this case, right? We have to wait for Jackie to die. Unfortunately, I mean we were get we called and got updates on her and they were like, No, there's no way she's gonna make it, right? And so When she dies, of course, we'll try to get a murder warrant and proceed further from there and just keep working the case. And I think we were waiting on some phone records to make sure uh, she had actually called him and his work, like he said she did that night, uh, you know, about a party or whatever, and see who else she might have called. Because we had to start excluding other people from having contact with her that night. And, of course, as you know, we were screwed on the... Injuries, the bruises, and the scratches because Boudreaux did not confess to those. And that emergency room doctor locked us out of the room and he said that she had no injuries and that he had examined her. She and I he mean, just he, just he just lied to us, I guess. You know, I, I can't imagine that she got all that inside the hospital, right? But whatever. So, meanwhile. A couple of days went by and Chuck calls me, Chuck Watts calls me and he says, Hey man, we got to go back to North Oaks for Jackie. I was like, what happened now? He said, I do not know. He said, but the head of the ICU, the same doctor that did the examination with us and when we did all the photographs, he's calling for a meeting with you and I. And I was like, oh shit. He said, he said he has some information but we needed to come over so he could explain it to us. I said, all right, so you want me to meet you out there? And he said, yeah. And then I forget where I was or where he was, but we drove to Hammond to the hospital, and we met and badged our way up to the ICU unit. And when we got there, he had told us to ask for him specifically, and we did, and we called him. He came out and got us and took us like into the administrative side, to his office, his private office. And he said, y'all, I mean, I thought we were going to see something else on Jackie, but it wasn't to be the case. And so he brings us in and he asked us if we found anything out. He's a really caring guy. I I mean, he really, he's the exact opposite of that turd from the emergency room, that doctor, right? This guy really wanted justice for this beautiful young lady. And he was like, you know, can you tell me what's going on? And I told him, so we made an arrest. But it was for sexual battery, and and I explained the situations, and when we got him to confess, or I got him to confess to masturbating over and penetrating her digitally with his, his fingers and messing with her breasts, et cetera, et cetera. So I told him all about it, and he said, "Man," he said, "We, this is so strange and so bizarre." And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" He said, "Well, time." was going by, you know, and he said we keep monitoring her and you know, sent her for I forget if it was CAT scan or MRI, whatever, y'all, and you have to forgive me again about my medical terminology or lack thereof. But he said, I sent her for whichever one it was, I think it was a CAT scan, to check like her, you know, head for brain activity or whatever. Whatever the reason was, he sent her in for this test, right? And he said that when the results came back, that she had what they call, in layman's term, they call free air inside of her, inside of her head. And I'm like, I look at Chuck, and he looks at me. I'm like, okay, if that's layman's term. We're screwed because we really don't know what you're talking about, Doc. He said, well, I don't know how to explain it to you, but let me tell you what I found. He said when the results came back and we could see there was free air getting inside of her head. And he said, but when I say free air, I mean the air that's not coming in through her mouth or her nose, not going through the regular systems. There's a pocket of air in the backside of her head, basically, is how he explained it. And he said, so I went and I mean I said, we got to find out where this air is getting into her head. It's, it's a source of air that is getting inside of the head where it doesn't belong. And it's not supposed to happen, right? So he said they went back and reexamined her. I remember she had this long, long, beautiful blonde hair. And it was thick, like super thick. And he said, we went back and they reexamined her. And they got into her hair, the thickness of her hair, and they shaved it up to look at the the base of her uh, skull. And once they removed the hair, they observed a perfectly round hole in the base of her neck. I mean, at the back, if you touch the back of your head, it's not in the base of your neck, in the uh, base of your skull. And then he showed us on a, um, on an x-ray thing, like it was a discoloration. He said, that's the free air. And he said, I knew that something was wrong when I saw that. That's why we went back and re-examined her and her hair was so thick. We had to cut it and shave the spot to find it. And he said, it is a perfectly round hole that. Was not healed yet and it wasn't scabbed over. He said, So I know it's a deep penetration hole. And I'm like, Doc, you tell me it could be like a bullet hole? He said, No, he said, Absolutely not. He said, So we'll go. He said, I'll let y'all take a picture of it in a few minutes. He said, but I'm, I want you to understand what you're looking at before we go in there. He said, You're looking at a perfectly round, circular hole. At the base of her head. And he said, that hole, he said, it's not as big as an ice pick. And he said, something was jammed into in the back of her head, in, in, deep into the back of her head. And he said, it, it's not an ice pick because it's too small, in my experience, you know, to be like an ice pick. He said, but it's not a needle, a regular needle, you know, not a whatever CC needle like they do to draw blood and stuff like that. He said, It's in between the two. And fuck me if the first thing that didn't pop into my mind is that second drawer to the left of the sink in the kitchen when I opened it. And what did I see? The Cajun injector syringe. And I told y'all it's a big ass needle. It's stainless steel and it's hollow. It's made to push massive amounts of liquid through it. And I'm like, oh, fuck me and I didn't see an ice pick in the house anyway and he said there's no way we could have known short of shaving our head and short of running this test and and he said that's a serious problem I'm like I'm thinking yeah if I could if you only knew how serious of a problem it was for us right and I go back again to that first day in the emergency room and not getting in to see her and take pictures, et cetera, but whatever. But it gets better. The doc says we have another problem. I'm like, okay, doc, what is it? I mean, I'm thinking, you know, shit, who knows, right? He said her toxicology came back and it had, you know, some barbiturates in it, some benzos or whatever, it, like, a cocktail of different narcotics. And he said, but that's not the problem. And I said, okay, what's the problem? He said, she has acetone. High amount of acetone in her system. And I was like, holy fuck. Because what does my mind go to now? When I was outside in the doorway of that shed, that metal can, It was white with the blue across the middle and the white letter. And bigger and shit says acetone. And I'm like, I said, Doc, I said, are you talking about like acetone, like the paint remover acetone? I mean, I guess there's only one kind of acetone. He said, as far as I know, he said, but it could be and nail polish removers. He said it could have been something else with the acetone. just the acetone remaining, the body broke down, whatever else it was. He said, I don't know. And I'm like, oh, fuck. And in, I'm thinking, now, you know, she's got this injection site in the back of her head, and it's bigger than a regular needle, but, you know, it's definitely, he assumed it was an injection site, but uh, because of the air that was inside her skull like that, inside the back of her head like that, and I know there's a medical term for it, but anyway, I'm thinking, Somebody injected her in the back of the neck with acetone through the at the base of her skull, like that, thinking that they would never find that site to kill her. Right. So, I mean, I'm just blown away. And Chuck's like, I don't know what the fuck, man. And the doc takes us down to see her, and she's still hooked up to the machine, but now her long, pretty blonde hair is gone. And they had shaved it and turned her over and showed us the spot. And sure enough, a photograph, and it was a perfectly little round hole. And uh, he says, So that's where the free air was injected into the head, or, you know, it was pushed in through that spot. And he said, You needed to know about it. And he said, "I, I think this is important. He said, I can't tell you that the acetone was injected into her. But I can tell you that I've never seen acetone in, in a person's bloodstream like she had in hers. And I can tell you that that appears to be an injection site because that's where the free air got inside of her head. And he said, that's that's it. I, I hope it helps you with your investigation. I'm thinking, man, oh, fuck. And so we, we thanked him. We left. And Chuck's like, dude, could this case get any more jacked up and i said no i just i don't believe that it can chuck so we go back to the office and go down mr norris to mr kearney's office and tell him what happened and kearney's like what and he said what do you think it could be and i said unfortunately i'm gonna tell you this and you're probably gonna get pissed off i said but i didn't have any way of knowing at the time to connect the thing i said when he told me an injection site And he told me the size of it. The first, this is before I knew about the acetone. I said, the first thing I'm thinking is, fuck me, there was a Cajun injector syringe in that second drawer in the kitchen. I said, it fits perfectly. The diameter of the the, the hole and all that. And I said, it has a long stainless steel. And they knew what it was. They've all used it before. And it has a long stainless tube on it, you know, for pushing fluids through. And... Mr. Kearney was like, well, I mean, he said, first of all, I don't think the guy would have just left it in his kitchen uh, drawer if he had used that to inject her. He said, but it's, it's possible. I mean, he said, but he said if he burned the bedding, then chances are that he'd burn the, whatever it was he used to inject her with. And but I said, "But well, maybe not, Mr. Kearney. He said, why don't you think so? I said, well, I fry. Usually a minimum of three turkeys every Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And back then, I used to give them out as gifts, but now I do it, you know, with my family and extended family and nieces and nephews and all go to my parents' house. And on Wednesday evenings, I spend like five hours frying turkeys. I said, but the thing is, I buy one bottle of Cajun injector, Creole garlic butter for each bird that i inject i said but well, guess what each one of those bottles comes shrink wrapped with the cajun injector needle and syringe attached to it i said so chances are that you know he could have had more than one of the cajun injector needles i said i have a three a year that just one for thanksgiving alone um you know so i i don't know it's just bad i said but mr kearney it gets a little worse he said tell me and i told him i said she has acetone in her system he said what and i said yeah high amounts of acetone he said paint thinner i said yes sir and i the doctor said it was off the charts like i mean he'd never seen that and he said well was it enough to kill her and i did ask the doctor that, y'all was it would it have been enough to kill her or put her in a vegetative state and he said he just didn't know i mean you have to hire some type of chemical expert to do the breakdown on amounts etc and what it could do to the body. So i mean it's just not something they ever see acetone yeah i mean nobody is going to drink acetone to get that amount in, in their bloodstream right he said, we just don't see it. We just don't know. And I don't have an answer for you. That's something a forensic pathologist is going to have to look into. Uh, I just can't answer. it." He said, but I can tell you this. It certainly didn't help her situation by having a large amount of acetone in her system. And so I told Mr. Kearney, I said, I have a photograph of the shed because I had checked it out, y'all, when we got back from the hospital, went back to my crime scene photos. I did not take a picture of the cage injector needle in the drawer because um, I didn't think it was relevant. But I did take a picture in front of the shed, and that metal can, you really can't see what it was, but the metal can was in the doorway. You could see the blue and the white, but the, the labeling was turned to the side. And I said, that can right there, Mr. Kearney, I said, it's a can of acetone he said, oh, he just leaned back and he's shaking his head. And he said, why do you think that would be in the doorway of the shed? Because I, I showed him the other pictures of the contents inside the shed. And I said, I don't know, Mr. Kearney, in my mind's eye, I would say that shed being raised off the ground like that, if someone was walking by and didn't want to take the time to go into the shed, they set it on the steps so the next time they come in to the shed they can put it up or whatever or maybe they forgot about us i don't know i mean i'm 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 at a loss and he said you need to go back out there and uh see if that acetone is still there and he said the the cajun injector i mean he said it's pure speculation that um could the one in the drawer to me y'all looked like the ones In my drawers at the house, I take, I rip the first one. Say, say I have three bottles of marinade. I rip the needle off the first one and I don't jack the the, the other two, right? I just use the same one because it's the same marinade going in three different birds rather than because you have to screw the syringe on the end of the plunger thing. It it, it doesn't come fully assembled. But the one in Boudreaux's deal was fully assembled, you see? So I don't know. He said, I don't think you waste your time on getting the Cajun injector. We'll never be able to prove it. You know, he said, you can testify about it. He said, write it in your report. You know, he said, I don't know what to tell you. He said, but you need to go out there and see if that can of acetone is there in case they can do some kind of trace or chemical analysis, if there's different types or levels or whatever. Uh, and, of course, none of us are scientists in the room, right? And he's thinking in case there's some way they could identify whatever's in our system to that. Shout out to AstroPro for sponsoring this episode and providing
2: us with free samples. My allergies are throwing my whole morning off. Do I sound different to you? <laughs> I love
1: that. You sound like, it's that time of year though, bro. I sound
2: different to me. I feel like I'm in a submarine.
1: Yeah, well. Have you tried AstroPro? It's faster, bro. Oh. Right? AstroPro is the first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. AstroPro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. AstroPro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Hey, I use this, and you should too, Jim. Last weekend, I planted my garden, and it's that time of the year, and my allergies really kicked up with it, right? I use AstroPro every time my nasal allergies flare up, and I'm always amazed at how fast I'm back in the game, down on those
2: rows, playing my stuff
1: that can of acetone he said i know it's a long shot but you got to go try so i did chuck and i rode back out to boudreaux's house and get there and his vehicle wasn't there his truck wasn't there so i i was actually gonna ask him and i I mean i'm sure he wasn't happy with me after i arrested him but i was just gonna ask him could we have it and if he said no then i was gonna get a search warrant i didn't want to waste actually it was chuck that, that some of the good old detective, he was like, "Yeah, like we need to get a search warrant." He said, "Fuck that, let's go out there and just ask him." I mean, if, if he does not know anything about it, then he'd probably just give it to us, and we wouldn't have to waste three hours getting a, ser- uh, a search warrant for it. I, I got so much great information from Chuck Watts and, and the older detectives, and I, I glean the best parts of them that I could and try to mold it into myself. Right, so we go out there. Boudreaux's vehicle is not there, and I said, well, you know what, Chuck, I'm just going to go around the back side of the residence. Maybe he's in the backyard, and I kind of winked at him, but what I really did is I went around, because I knew the shed was in plain view there of the back door, and I was able to see when I went around to the back door to knock on it, if you will, but when I was look- I looked at the shed, The asked him, Ken was not there. I don't know. What do you do, Right. So, we go back and, I mean, this case is just couldn't be any more bizarre or stranger than it already is. Now, you know, we have the sexual battery, a member of battery in Louisiana under the Napoleonic Code of Law is opposite all the rest of the states everywhere else. The unwanted touching is an assault, and in Louisiana, your assault is a verbal threat, and the battery is unwanted touching. So, we, I mean, we had that, and of course Jackie still wasn't dead, and we're we're at a standstill. We're waiting. We're praying maybe DNA comes back or something happens or whatever. And meanwhile, within a week, probably less than a week, I got a subpoena to go to court, which is nothing new. I mean, I would get probably have three or four cases a day on most days on motions to suppresses or. Probable calls, hearings, etc. Because I arrest a lot of people, but I got one for Boudreaux. It was for nine o'clock in the morning, which told me he wasn't locked up. For the if he was locked up and he had not made bail, he had not made bail. Then it would have been at one o'clock because the, the people that you lock up and that stay locked up, then they bring the inmates over at one o'clock for their hearings, whatever. Maybe bond reductions or motion to suppress, or probable cause hearings, or whatever. So, 9 o'clock in the morning, I'm like, all right. That morning comes, and when I get there at 8, and I'm having my coffee. And the door opens. I'm sitting in this general bullshit, in the general detective office. And the door opens, and A. Wayne Stewart walks in. Now, let me tell you about Mr. Wayne Stewart. He was, without a doubt, the best criminal defense attorney in Livingston Parish. Okay. And the only one other attorney that was on his level of skill in the criminal defense world is, was Mr. Mike Thiel. And Mike Thiel actually taught me criminal justice in college. But, and I think later on, in later years, it would go on to join firms, if you will. And that before, both of them had some problems with the law. But, Wayne Stewart was a character, and his office was right across the street from our entrance for the courthouse where we went to the detective's office. But he's always smiling and joking and whatever, but let me tell you something, he's a shrewd little fucker when it came to court, and he was really, really good. I wasn't intimidated by him. I mean, I spent more time on the stand than most lawyers ever spent in the the courtroom in their entire career. I mean, I was constantly on the stand, and i have been against Wayne many, many times in many different cases and i hadn't lost him yet but he walks in i'm thinking. i say miss wayne what you doing he said i just want to see if you were here i like, me he said yeah i said why he said you got your subpoena for boudreaux and i said yeah i did i said he hired you he said yes sir he did i said oh, fuck and that's what i'm thinking i didn't show it right never let him see you sweat but i'm thinking oh man because this day he was so good y'all and i knew it, for him to take the time to come up there just to see if I was there, he was hoping, first of all, that he would get lucky and win because I wasn't going to show that that wasn't going to happen, right? And then, um but for him to come up there and see if I was there, I should he didn't do that on murder cases we had together. So I, I knew something was up. I just didn't know what it was. And he said, well, okay, man, we'll see you down there. And, and I said, oh, yeah, I'll be there, Mr. Wayne. You know, and then he's bullshitting around. he always you know jokes with us, et cetera, but everybody knew. I mean, you don't want to call it I want to call it slimy. Yeah, but if you ever get the defense attorney in the movies, the slimy defense attorney or whatever, the sneaky when it all cost guy, that was Wayne Stewart, and that's why he was the best, and I mean, he just was. I mean, he won a lot of shit, and he won a lot of cases and and in most of the cases he won didn't have to go to trial because he beat the cops on the stand and on the motion to suppresses and the probable cause hearings and getting things thrown out and stuff like that. But when it came time for a jury trial, he's the best. He worked the jury from the during Bois de that's jury selection, whatever I guess it's a Napoleonic code law term, a French code Bois de And but he was worked the courtroom from the get go and he worked the juries. I knew I was up against the best. Again on Boudreaux, and the worst case that I'd, I'd ever had from y'all know why I mean you know everything about it right. So we'll go down to the courtroom and then let me explain to you how it works. And it was in the big courtroom, and you have all your general public seating, which I mean is in the middle. It's like uh, church pews all the way across, and then if you walk into the courtroom, you have all the middle seating and. There's aisle way, aisle way on the outhand side of this massive long pews there in the middle. The walkways on the either side of the courtroom. So you walk down the right aisle. If you come in the right door, which you had to actually because they had a metal detector. So that's where everybody else had to come in. We could come in through a back door, but so if you come in through the main door, you go through the metal detector, you go through security, you go in and you walk down and you find yourself place to sit. But if not, when you walk up, the first thing you see on the right-hand side of the courtroom is the jury box. And it's raised up and it has a railing around it and uh, has you know, a door on both ends of the jury box, a little swinging door. But when you walk up and you're about 10 feet away from the jury box, there's a brick column and all the pew seatings behind you. Then you have the very front row uh, uh, the last or the first, which way you come into the courtroom? Pew, and then there's a door to the right, which is the one we usually came through, so we didn't have to go through security, et cetera. But that's also the door where the jury would go out, and then the jury room was back there with with the deliberate. But if you're facing the courtroom, the, the jury would box is to your right, and then you have two tables. The on the right hand side is where the defense would sit, and on the left-hand side is where the prosecution would sit. In the trial, they reversed it. If it was a trial week, the prosecution would sit closest to the jury, and the defense would sit on the other side. So anyway, you go in, and uh, it's always packed, right? And I think this was a Monday. I'm pretty sure it was a Monday, and the so it's it's packed, and you know, they probably have. A, 150 cases on the docket, different motions, and it's criminal court now. This is not a civil courtroom or, you know, a divorce courtroom or anything like that. This is criminal court. We would go in and walk in and tell the district attorney we were there and go sit in the jury box. And if you look across the courtroom, then remember you have the defense would be sitting right there next to you and then the prosecution, but on the other side, the district attorney's team would line up. And uh, by team, I mean, you would have like the secretaries that would have the files, the victim's advocate, just the different ladies that work for the district attorney's office. And and then, of course, in front of that, you had the court reporter and then the judge's bench and the witness stand. If you're facing the judge's bench, witness stands to the right. So we go in and they... All rise and honorable. And I forget what judge it was honorable such and such. And, you know, the deputy calls it out. So everybody stands. The judge comes in and says, be seated. And then they, he says, okay, we're we'll going to start doing the docket and they start calling cases and they, you know, whatever it is, motions are heard or court dates are set, trial dates are set. And, but usually the DA would try to get us out of there first because they knew we had shit to do. And so Wayne didn't get there till, you know, he was like, He's always running late. And even though he knew I was going to be there and I might've been kind of a mind fuck on his part to try to mess with me. But see, he comes in like nine forty-five, and court started at nine and he comes in and then it goes to the DA. It's like, Hey, hey, I got to be in court somewhere else. Can I go ahead and get mine out of the way? And the DA accommodates him because they shit, they work together every day. I mean, even though we're on the opposite sides, they didn't hate each other or anything. Wayne was a likable guy. And so, anyway, they call a case, it's a State of Louisiana versus whatever, Boudreaux. And A. Wayne stands up and says, Your Honor, Wayne Stewart for the uh, defendant. And D.A. stands up and says, D.A., whomever, for the state. And he said, Your Honor, we're here this morning on behalf to hear a motion to suppress the confession of Mr. Boudreaux to Detective Overton. And in the motion to suppress, Mr. Stewart states that Detective Overton was wrong in getting a confession from him because Boudreaux had asked for a lawyer previously. And the judge tells him to proceed. And so the district attorney says, Detective Overton, uh, we like to call Detective Overton to stand. So I get out of the box. I walk up, and I know I have to turn around and, st- and stand up and put my hand on the Bible and raise my left hand on the Bible, raise my right hand, and the lady, the uh court clerk says, you swear it's the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so I'll help you guys? Yes, ma'am, I do. And then they say, be seated. So I'm, I've done this a thousand times. I sit down, pull the microphone to a comfortable distance to me, and turn to the prosecutor, and he starts with a basic question. Can you tell us your name? And I'm Detective Woody Overton. And were you a detective on such and such date? Uh, or where were you employed on such, such data? I said, Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office as a detective. And he said, can you uh, tell us what happened with you and the defendant, Mr. Boudreaux? Did you arrest him on that date? I said, yes, I did. And they said, what for? I said, he, he gave a confession to sexual battery. And the prosecutor says, no more questions, Your Honor. Well, let me explain something. And you've heard me talk about it in past episodes. This is simply a free shot at the, the defense attorney to try to do a couple things. One, to get just blind-ass lucky and, and, and get the case thrown out, thinking that maybe I'm going to mess up on something or the judge is going to rule against me. But it, more importantly for a good defense attorney, when they know it's going to be a good trial later on, they use it as a fact-finding mission because they get to ask you whatever the hell they want to. And I don't think it should be that way, but it always has been, and I guess it always will be. But to me, if I was the district attorney, I, it, you know, if they got off any point besides the motion that they filed, which was the motion to suppress the tape confession he gave me on the porch, I'd be like, I object, I object, but whatever, I'm not an attorney. So A. Wayne stands up and says, good morning, Detective Bowers. And I said, good morning, Mr. Stewart. And he said, so can you tell me how you first came in contact with my client? And I said, the very first day? And he said, yeah, you start from there. And I, and I explained that we were called out, 911, deceased body. He said, did you see Jackie at that residence? I said, no, I did not. I said she was being placed into the ambulance. He said, okay, and he said, then, did you do a search of the residence? I said, no, I did not. I said, I went in and I observed. I said, but I actually wasn't searching for anything. I said, I was just looking to see what was what. And he said, so you came into contact with my client for the first time there. I said, I did. He said, but you were searching. I said, oh, Mr. Wayne, I was not searching, and I knew where he was going. And He said, well, you were in there acting in your capacity as a detective, right? And I said, that's correct. He said, it could have been a possible crime scene, right? I said, I didn't. I don't know. I said, I mean, I don't know. You know, that's, that's why I was looking around. But he said, but you talked to my client and got permission to look around. I said, sure, I did. He said, and I knew it was coming. He said, well, you, you talked to my client and you identified yourself as a detective. I said, I did. And he said, did you advise my clients of his rights, when you identified yourself as a law enforcement officer. I said, No, I did not. And I didn't have to elaborate y'all and I know I learned over the years you don't get baited in uh, to what they're trying to do. And a Wayne Stewart had a had a plan and he was going to go through it, try to go through every inch of it. And he did. And he said, Why didn't you advise Miss Rice? I said, Because at the time it wasn't a criminal investigation. And he said Well, don't you think if you search a man's house, I said, Mr. Wayne, I told you I was not there to search the house. I was there to respond about what your client called in to be a dead body, which turned out to not be a dead. I was doing my fingers like quotations, dead body. And I said, simply spoke with him, asked him what he found. He's the one that called 911, not me. He's the one that instigated contact with us not me i said i was responding to it i said and he called and says there's a dead body i did you know we took a tape statement from him about what he found and you know went to the hospital and, and continued from there he said oh yeah let's talk about that and i'm like oh fuck here we go and he said when you got to the hospital what happened and this is the point where I would have ejected. This as a district attorney. I'd have been like, Your Honor, this is irrelevant uh, as to the confession, right? But the, the DA's got, you know, other things going on, I guess. And then I said, Well, we went in and he said, did you see Jackie at the hospital? I said, did not. And he said, well, Why not? I mean, you drove to the hospital to see her. You responded to my client's house because you're you know, looking into things, he said, why wouldn't you see her? And I already fucking knew that he knew, well knew that we didn't get in to see her. And he knew about the injuries coming out. Of course, Boudreaux would have told him all this, the injuries coming out a couple of days later. Right. And, and I said, because the doctor told us it was an overdose and he wouldn't allow us into the room because they were working on her. He said, oh, but he said, Did you ask the doctor, did the examiner, did he, did he see injuries to her? And again, I would object because it's outside the scope on the dude's confession, right? But again, I'm not the lawyer. And I said, no. I said, yeah, I said, actually, yeah, I did ask him when he denied his room. I said, we need to get in to see her, to photograph her. And he was real adamant, no. It was a drug overdose, and I asked about injuries. He said he examined her, and there were no injuries. He said, so there were no injuries. Now, at this point, he's playing his part. I mean, he he knows the judge that we're in front of is going to be the trial judge. And so he's feeding the judge, I don't want to say a bias. I think I believe all the judges out there were fair, but he's feeding the judge doubt from the beginning. He said, so an emergency room doctor told you she had no injuries to her body and that it was simply a drug overdose and that she was going to die. I said, that's correct. He said, and, and you just didn't need to photograph her. I said, that's not what I said, Mr. Wayne. I said, I asked to photograph her and we were denied. And he said, and you just gave up? I said, yeah, actually, yeah, we did. And after repeated attempts, you know, we left. And he said, okay. Um, he said, so what happened next? And he said, when's well, so the next time you saw my client? I'm like, fuck man, why don't you jack and let's get to the, straight to the confession part. So I told him, you know, that we had to get a search warrant to go back to the house for, to search his client, his residence and his body for injuries. He said, oh, 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 hold on. This is a drug overdose. He's playing for the courtroom. He's playing for his potential clients future clients that are in a crowd which are all the shitheads that got arrested over the weekend are waiting on their bond hearings and stuff and they you know they're thinking you know, we are watching a high drama courtroom television show so whatever we played it back and forth and i was like yeah okay wayne and he said so what happened i said we had to go back to the hospital. We got called back because she had injuries to her body. And he said, no, 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 no. He said, you said the emergency room doctor said she didn't have any injuries. I said, he did say that. I said, and now you're telling me she's got all these injuries. And he said, how many? I said, I, I believe it was 57, Mr. Wayne. And he said, well, how do you explain that? And he said, you, you're there and you're there to... Examiner, et cetera. And the doctor tells you clearly that she is a drug head. It's a drug overdose and he's examined her body and she has no injuries. You asked several times. He denied you admittance and was very adamant with you. He said, wasn't the answer? Yes, sir. He was. He said, I mean, he said, if you want to deny it, I have your report right here. You're in this report. I said, Mr. Wayne, I'm not denying it. Yes. He, he denied us access to the room. And he did say she had no injuries. He said, well, you know, it's two days later and she's got oh, 57 injuries now. And I'm like, "Yep, yeah, that's right. And it, I mean, he's playing it up and he's mugging it up. So it goes on and on y'all. And then he said, so you did the search warrant. He said, tell me what happened at the end of the search warrant. He said, did, did my client not ask
0: Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is the story of the want As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, click or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
1: For an attorney, I said, nope, he did not. He said, what do you mean he didn't? I said, he didn't ask me for an attorney. He said, did my client not say that he wanted an attorney? Did he not say that to you? I said, no, sir, he did not. He said, he most certainly did. I said, no, you got it wrong, Mr. Wayne. He said, how do you mean I got it wrong? I said, he didn't ask me. He said, Oh, come on, Woody. (laughs) And I was giving him back a little bit, right? And he said, Well, then who did he ask? I said, It was uh, uh, Detective Watson, Chief Deputy Kearney Foster that were interviewing him. He told them he wanted an attorney. He said, Isn't that apples and oranges or whatever? And I, I said, You asked me or you made the statement that it was me. And I said, He did not tell me he wanted an attorney. He said, Well, were you present in the residence when? My client stated basically for y'all to get out and he wanted an attorney. I said, I was. He said, what'd you do? He said, didn't you continue to question my client, et cetera? I said, no, I did not. I said, I absolutely did not. He said, yes, you did. I said, no, I didn't. And he said, well, tell me what happened. I said, well, we were getting ready to leave. And I told Mr. Kearney that I just wanted to say something to Mr. Boudreaux. And he said, Well, you know, you can't question him. He said he wanted an attorney. I said, Mr. Wayne, I didn't want to question him. He said, well, it doesn't make any sense that you want to go back in. I said, sure it did. And I said, I just want to talk to the man And as a human being, a human being. He said, oh, that's junk. He said, you wanted to question him. I said, I never asked him a question. I said, as a matter of fact, I didn't let him say anything to me. He said, well, what did you say? And I said, I went back in there and I told him, I I know you're a man of faith and you better pray to God that Jackie doesn't die. Because if she does, then they're coming back with an arrest warrant for murder for probable cause, which is 50% plus one. I told him the exact conversation, y'all. I didn't lie. And he started jumping on it. Oh, that is, don't you think that is shameful? you using God to against this man. I said, I would not use God against him. And I said, I, I mean, he had the crosses and he had the Bible and I asked him, was he a, a praying man and a man of faith? And he shook his head. yes. He said, well, he did answer questions. So I said, no, not verbally. He just shook his head. And I told him, don't answer that. You know? So I said, and I wasn't in there for more than three or four minutes. And they came and got me. He said, you have a recording of that? I said, no, sir, I do not. I said, and he said, well, why why do you think we should believe you? And I said, well, because I'm not lying to you. And I said, because I was not there holding a gun to your client's head when he called the sheriff the next morning and asked to speak to me. And he was like, oh. And, then, and so he said, the next day, my client told you things. And he said, don't you think that... He needed his attorney presence. I said, no, sir, I did not. And he he just went round and round about it. I said, Mr. Wayne, we can do this dance all day long. I said, why don't you just play the tape? I said, it's on air. I clearly asked him before I made entry into the residence, did you call for me? He said, yes. I said, do you understand that I can't talk to you without an attorney because you said you want an attorney? He said, I don't want an attorney. And I said, yeah. But you have to a the question. Blah, blah, blah. I went through the whole thing and it's on there. I said, the one thing that can't get twisted around, Mr. Wayne, what like you're trying to do is the truth. And the, that tape is the truth. Play it. And he said, Your Honor, I, I don't have anything further. Um, then the DA got up and said, Your Honor, I'd like you to listen to the tape. And, and it, that's pretty powerful moving shit. And. Once I was at the door and told him the part about the attorney and he waived it and said he didn't need one. A. Wayne stood up and said, Yana, we withdraw. We withdraw the motion to suppress the confession. So all that was, was his fact finding mission and his way to start planting the seeds in the judge's head, possibly for to get a lower bail when Jackie died or whatever that, you know, somebody else could have really, and he did a great job. And I would, I would have done the same thing if I was an attorney. And he's playing the future card is what a Wayne was doing, and he wasn't more. he knew that uh, motion of suppress wasn't going to go through. That's why before it was played to the crowd about him sucking her nipples and fingering her and coming on top of her. I mean he didn't want that out there, and he didn't want the judge to hear that part yet, right? because the judge has got a thousand open cases, so before that part got to play, he withdrew it, and that was in that hearing. And you know what, you know, I'm coming up on an hour, but I'm not going to go into week four. We're just going to run this one a little bit long. We were a little bit late dropping the episode last week, so I'm not going to do it to you again. And I'm going to conclude this story by telling you what happened next, which is absolutely nothing. And time marches on. Right. So, I mean, I've got every day. Got new victims and new cases and working and new bodies and new rapes and, you know, time marches on. Just because Jackie is in ICU doesn't mean other criminals are going to stop committing crimes. And I didn't hear anything else. And there were, there was no more court dates and it it takes a long time to go to trial, y'all. But that, and the, There would have been no more court dates on that other than a status conference, what they call it, a status conference, and then they would set a a trial date for Boudreaux. But basically, the DA was waiting on Jackie to die, also. And then, I mean, I I just really slipped my mind and and went on working. And then nine months later, Chuck calls me and we weren't partners anymore. I was, I had somebody I was training by then, probably I think Jim Rathman. Chuck called me, said. Well, he said, we finally got it. I said, what? He said, Jackie, Jackie's dead. I almost said her last name. Jackie's dead. Mm -hmm. And he said, the autopsy is tomorrow at nine. Can you do it? And I said, yeah, I'll do it. And so I show up the next morning and go in for the autopsy. And she had been housed in a long term. They moved her out of ICU. She ended up being housed in a long term home where, I mean, I don't know the the parameters of it or how to define it or what you call those places where people that are in a vegetative state stay on life support, but I guess it was too cost-prohibitive to keep her in an ICU, I don't know. but She had been moved to some other facility, and it took her nine months to die, y'all, nine months. And when they unzipped the bag and put her on the table, I'll never forget it. The, I mean, she didn't even look like a human being. She probably was like 125 pounds before. And I'm looking at like a Holocaust a concentration camp, but worse victim. I mean, there was literally nothing but skin and bones. And you hear that term. But unless you've seen it, and then go look up con- the German POW concentration to, uh, um Auschwitz or Dachau is one I went to and visited. Go look up the people that are starved for every bone, everything. I mean, there's literally not a piece of meat on this girl's body. And I think she weighed like 60, 67 pounds or something like that. I mean, it was all bones and whatever fluids were left in her body. And the worst part was she had bed sores. And I know, you know, when you lay in that spot for so long, they they come in and they flip you a couple times a day and stuff like that. I mean, because you can't turn yourself and the body just rots away on, on the spots that it's sitting. God damn it. I, I guess because she sat so long, but even though they were turning her, she had huge, massive... Fucking bed sores. You literally can see bone in places. And the bed sores, y'all, is where the skin's rotted away. Look that one up. If you want to have a shitty image in your head for the rest of the day, look up bed sores. And it's just absolutely heartbreaking to see that girl, the young lady, from the video on the beach to her photographs in the house of happy times you know, when she was young and alive and vibrant. And now she's laying on this cold steel table, dead and doesn't even look like a human. And between the bed sores and and then no meat on her body and ship did autopsy. And the pathologist, the guy that I told you about in an episode, pants on the ground. He's a genius. I mean, for all his quirkiness and everything else, but it had been nine months, and he had uh, the toxicology. He he knew about the acetone, but you know they did work the body from head to toe. I told you about it. now they scalped it out and take the top of the head off and weigh all the organs and everything else, and and he knew about the injection site in the back of her neck, and at the end of it, you know, he he just didn't have an answer. And he said, you know, I just can't tell you. He said, I just can't tell you. And he said, I can tell you that. I showed him. I brought all the photographs of the bruises and scratches. And he said, those didn't kill her. He said, I can't tell you if the hole in the back of the neck killer her where the air was pushed in or whatever was pushed in. And he said, I can't tell you. It's been too long, you know. And, and he said, it's unfortunate. He said, I don't know why. People would keep somebody on life support for that long, he said. But that's family's decisions. And he said, I mean, he said, hopefully her spirit left her body on that first day, and she wasn't trapped inside her. You know, all this time. And this is coming from a pathologist, but it was bad. And he said, I can't give you a cause of death. He said, I can give you a cause of death, but I can't give you a cause of homicide. And I technically can't call it a homicide. And cause of death was whatever i don't know renal failure or some shit the main thing was is he couldn't call it a homicide because there wasn't enough proof and goes back to that first emergency room doctor and i don't know y'all and people had asked me before about what case sticks with me and what case haunts me and you know I hadn't thought about Jackie in a long time. I don't know what made me think about her uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was doing this, something I don't—I've mean, been driving by somewhere or whatever. And I had to do that because I had so many cases and the tragedy cases and, and bad things that I guess I just bury them down in my mind and I don't think about them. And let me back up. I saw Wayne, probably about Wayne Stewart, Oh, uh, probably... A couple months after that motion to suppress or whatever, and Jackie was still alive, and we were on another case. We were talking about another case. And I said, hey, man, I said, whatever happened to Boudreaux? I said, when's this trial date coming up? He said, it's not. I said, what do you mean? He said, I pled him out, man. He said, you think I'm fucking stupid? He said, I pled him out to attempted sexual battery, and they gave him five years probation. I shit you not. I said, you motherfucker. he said, hey, man, it's it's the job. And he has a right to defense. And he said, you know, the case is kind of messed up. And, you know, they never get a a murder charge out of it. I said, yeah, I know. I said, you're right. And so he got five years probation for admitting to all the stuff that I told you. I don't want to talk about the dirty stuff again. But he got five years probation. Jackie died. Her body just quit. And I don't know. So here's the answer to what happened to Jackie. The answer is we'll never know. So I'm going to conclude the episode at this time. I um, appreciate y'all for listening. I know it was a long three week deal. I didn't intend upon that, but I don't use scripts and I don't write notes and stuff. I just talk out of my head. From memory, so I never know how long they're going to go because I never would know what's going to pop into my head. But so I hope you enjoyed it. Tough story, but true, and that's it. So thank y'all, and I appreciate each and every one of you. I love you. Don't forget to check out our social media: three Facebook pages—the regular one, and then the Lanyap page, which is where fans get to share things and have. To- many great fans that I've traded items with and the, the page I'm most proud of, which is real life, real crime, friends, fans, and crew. It's a private page. You have to ask to join it in our dream team moderators. We'll get you approved. Now on the private page is just, it's the shit, man. It's got it's so much fan interaction and true crime stuff posted every day and all that. And I don't think, We're we're over 2,000 members in it right now. 2,000 members in it, in that private page, and it's just huge. But a lot of fans go and leave reviews on the regular, the open page. It's Real Life, Real Crime Facebook page, and I I appreciate that. I don't think that y'all understand the benefit that you can get out of going to join a private group. We don't make any money off of anything. I want you to go and join because it's so awesome. The fans and the true crime stuff and Karen on posting posts her true crime stuff and Jenny white and uh, different moderators doing things, uh, Karen travels. And then y'all on the Lania page, don't forget about our cookbook. Uh, that's going to be coming out around Thanksgiving and stuff like that. So it's just a lot. Also we're on YouTube, Instagram, what else? Twitter and, and all that stuff we have. We're, we're everywhere. So if you would, Take the time. Go to iTunes. Whether you listen to it on iTunes or not, I'm asking you if you would please, if you haven't already, over five hundred of you have now, please go leave us a review. And just type in "Real Life, Real Crime" on iTunes. It pops up. Show pops up, and you can you have a spot for you to leave a review. I don't care if it's one star, or five star, but it helps. There's some kind of algorithm that helps boost us to the top or in the Search engine. So if you, I, I would ask if you're a fan, if you, if you take a couple minutes to do that, it would really help us out. I appreciate it. And patron members, thank you so much. Um, I'm not going to take any time reading names today. Um, I'm going to have us uh, doing a special release episode next week. We have huge, huge news two on two fronts for real life, real crime, life changing news that's coming and it's all because of y'all. If you can't be a patron, that's great. I love you just as much. But it's y'all liking and sharing and reviewing and subscribing to Real Life Real Crime. that's made us get so big. And we've got some fantastic news. One, that I think every true crime fan is going to be super excited about. The other one, every fan of Real Life Real Crime is going to be excited about. So we're going to do a special show. Next week's show. As uh, I said, two weeks. It'll be next week because I'm recording this early because I have to fly out tomorrow. But I love all y'all and appreciate you. Thanks for everything that you do. Thanks for tuning in and listening. And stay tuned to listen to the promos that are coming up. Check them out. And I love and appreciate each and every one of you. Till next time or ever. Don't let me catch you down on. Murder. My Peace.
3: From the brilliant creative minds that brought you Keep Drinking, It'll Get Better and The Real Housewives of Hillcrest Nursing Home comes the podcast that people are raving about. Hi, this is Edward October for OctoberPodVHS.com here to tell you what people are saying about our true crime podcast. A thread store in Arizona says Too Much Dribble and Slang These... Ladies obviously enjoy their own humor and sound high. Hey, at least they called you ladies. Benny from Idaho says, Your topics are so appealing, but a three-person pod is difficult enough to follow without banter? Um, our true crime podcast only has two people? Wait, 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 wait. Where's the other 100 five-star reviews? Can somebody give me the five-star reviews? Okay, here we go. Much better. Luscious Lee says stand up, five stars. You girls are funny AF. I especially love the me and Mrs. Jones rendition you sneak into the recording. Cherry G107 says I struggle finding a new podcast and so far I've been hooked to you guys podcasts. Keep up the good work. Thumbs up, thumbs up, smiley face. Our true crime podcast, two girls, one story, and lots of bad renditions of songs you love available on your favorite podcatcher go binge it today
2: the neighborhood is unsafe the streets unlit while others sleep soundly you lie awake because you know the truth you know that no matter where you go there's always a chance that a monster is in your midst the darkness that runs deep within our own veins the evil found in even the sweetest of souls sometimes comes to light and when it does the result is a person that takes on that evil that wears it proudly and becomes part of the darkness itself I am Aaron from devil we know podcast and on our true crime show we dive into the scariest corners of our past and present to reveal the devil we know a father a mother a brother a sister And anyone, anywhere, who hides in plain sight. Living a life of bloody secrets while living just next door. Come check us out and hear the chilling, true stories about the devils we know.
1: To remain silent. Anything you say can and will be against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to and during questioning. If you can't afford one, the court will appoint one for you. You understand your rights?